My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is recorded live in San Francisco and produced in collaboration with Dave Clark at Studio Pod Media. Our show coordinator is Deanna Marinci with additional editing and music presented by Notalab. This episode of Technically Speaking is sponsored by Automatic, the people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Automatic's 1,400 people hail from 79 countries and speak 99 languages. Their open source software products democratize publishing and commerce so that anyone with a story can tell it and anyone with a product can sell it, regardless of income, gender, politics, language, or country. More than 1 billion people use Automatic products every month. Automatic also contributes directly to WordPress, the open source project that powers over 40% of websites on the internet. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check out the latest job listings today. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Harrison Wheeler. I am your host of Technically Speaking. And today I have May Lee Koo. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here because you're just an amazingly cool, interesting person. And it's amazing just how much impact that you've had just on the design industry as a whole and your voice and the way that you connect with folks, I know we came across each other on Twitter, but even there, it's, it's amazing to see and just love your insight. So again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for inviting me here. It's great to meet you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that the podcast is how I've met so many people, but it's great. It's sort of like a in-depth conversation to really get to know each other. I know I'm the one that's probably going to be asking the majority of the questions, but feel free to ask any if anything comes to mind for you. Yeah. So before we get into the meat of the show, let's start out with a few icebreakers. I have a few that I have prepared here already. And so just kind of reading about you, you DJ. Yeah. Or you have DJed. Are you still doing that? It's been a little while. The last time we did it was for like a, I want to say... There were probably about a thousand people that RSVP'd for an online party for Radio Ambulante's anniversary party online. It was a Zoom party. People came from all over the world. That was the last time we spun. And that was weird because it was a remote thing, right? So everything's like hooked up. We weren't at home. We didn't have our turntables. We didn't have our setup, but we did it. And so that was the last time. Yeah. Was it like a Spotify playlist that you were kind of moving on and vibing to or what? Nah, we were using Serato. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. So how did you get into the whole DJ thing? I mean, I think it's because I love dancing. I've always loved dancing. And at some point in time as a dancer, you're like, well, I know what moves me. And I have strong opinions about this music. And so that's how I like to spin. It's always just like, what moves me? Like, what can I not help dancing to? And that's what I want to throw down. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. I love that. So what's on the set list right now? Man, I love this question. <laughs> Definitely Burn a Boy. Ah. I'd be lying if I didn't include that right now because you know how Spotify is like, here's what you've been listening to. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, all right. 
Yeah, probably like Brenna Boy, Was Kid, Tiwa Savage are kind of the first things that came to mind when you presented that question. But there's also some Kenyan pop that I've been listening to lately that have been on circulation. Yeah. I mean, obviously what I wind up playing depends on who's listening and who's in the room because we we wind up getting pulled into to play for different crowds. But that's kind of been what's on on my heavy rotation mood. Yeah. What about you? Well, it's it's real funny because before the show, we were talking about just like grabbing a coffee at like Red Bay, where I just was. And actually on my drive home, I was listening to Burner Boy, which is hey. insane. <laughs> so good vibes right now. That does not happen yeah. often. Yeah. We're doing something right. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, the time of the year, it's that time of year, like, it's really interesting because I feel like last year we didn't really feel the seasonality as much because we were just locked in our homes. I think the Bay Area is really shut down more than most places. And so last year almost kind of felt like it just felt like it went by because it felt like March until probably August before the fires. It all felt the same. But now there's like a sense of excitement. There's a bit of nostalgia now that we can get back out. And so especially with everything going on, like Burner Boy also has like that feel good vibe, but it's also kind of a little bit of like that resistance as well. And I really vibe with it. It's it's just a part of the times, you know? Totally. Oh man, totally. Yeah, it was, it was wild because last year I was in Colombia. I was living in Bogota when the bears all locked down. Yeah, it's interesting to hear your description and like imagining what it was like, you know, and then coming back and seeing everybody back at the lake is like a whole other. I know, I know. Here's another hilarious fact. The last place that I visited was Colombia before the lockdown. What is going on? What? Oh my God, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. We didn't get to Bogota, but we were in Medellin and in Cartagena. So it was nice, you know. Oh, good, yeah, good, that's great. Good vacation vibes. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Great. What's something that you're really nerding out or geeking out on right now? Also, wonderful question. Man, I'm just looking at everything on the other side of history and process because the way things are right now, I'm like, okay, I don't know where we're going from here, but I don't think that continuing on with the same systems and the same techniques and the same frameworks that we've used to get here is what's going to carry us forward. So I want to know what's the stuff that was buried in the past, always existed, but wasn't the stuff like getting out to, you know, whatever, whatever we were being taught in status quo. So... I'm geeking out on all of that. So there's that, the BIPOC design history course as an example of that. Geeked out on a whole bunch of like thinking about coloniality and decoloniality and all of that literature. That's a whole thing, including on the educational side, all the sort of systems that have come into play as far as there's stuff that's getting released now that we're about 50 years past the 1960s, which was a time of major upheaval. So 50 years later, there's a lot of story collecting and history that's coming out. So whatever it is that we learn in high school, like there's new information and new histories becoming unburied that, I'm, that I've been geeking out on. And also like processes and technique, you know, thinking about like design justice and participatory design, co-design. There's all these things that have like, some of the sort of older versions of them have come under critique. There's newer ways of doing things all the time because human systems are complex. That stuff is just, it feels like a lifetime of geeking out, but I'm excited about it right now because I'm like, all right, I'm 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 done. I don't want to keep just doing shit the way that it's always been done. Let's figure out some other shit and let's find out all this buried history that I want to know, you know? <laughs> yeah, I want to touch on that a little bit later once we get in our ep- episodes and how that learning also 
may have also brought some more things to consciousness, maybe in terms of just like reflecting back at your journey until now. So one last question is, what is something that you've learned about yourself over the past 15 months? Oh, man, that's, I'm going to give you two. One is the introvert extrovert thing. I think that I used to spend more time with people than I actually had the energy for. So having to spend more time on my own has made me realize like, actually, like, I kind of needed that downtime more than I realized. So that's one. The other one is just coming into my own with writing. So I've just been realizing how much I need to write and how much I want to write. And that's been another discovery over the last 15 months. Oh, one more is that I can bake. I didn't know that. (laughs) What is one dish that you're very proud of? Because I know that baking is not one of the things that you do one time and it's great. So what is something that you've been really proud of that you can at least boast about that you can say, hey, try Maylee's cookies or cheesecake or, or I'm terrible at pastries, but let us know. You know, as far as the like trying a thing that I came up with, it's actually not in the baking realm, but it's still in the food making realm. So I'm going to share that. And that is chili crisp. I started making my own chili crisp while I was living in Bogota because I couldn't find any. Actually, I'm going to publish the recipe for the like Andean style chili crisp that I wound up making while I was there. So it's like a Colombian Chinese chili crisp. What is a chili crisp? I've never heard of it. It's a hot sauce, but it's crunchy. Okay. It has like crispy oh. garlic in it. Yeah. Oh. And it's okay. spicy. You put it on anything and it's like spicy and garlicky good. Dessert side, I think one thing I did recently was I whipped coconut cream with pandan, which is a Southeast Asia. My family's from Indonesia. It's a Southeast Asian leaf if you haven't had it before. But yeah, whipping coconut cream with that stuff and then putting that on mm. strawberries, which are in season right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just do that. It's great. You know, one of the things that I've come to appreciate, especially when we're talking about food, is that we have to be very descriptive on podcasts on how it tastes and the smells. Yeah. So you can get people on the other side to crave it. So I think you did a good job. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to hear it. I'll have to make some batches of chili crisp and bring you a jar. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. So I'm wrapping up with all these icebreakers. Maybe let the listeners learn a little bit more about yourself because you have had an amazing career in technology across the board. And I think I tried my best to try and give you a title. There's nothing that you can fit into. And so I think the story might better give the listeners an idea of exactly the things that you do and and really put your thought into. Yeah, sure. It kind of takes two forks as far as the story of what I do, because there's the like jobs and then there's the life and they're both important. I guess jobs are part of life, but y'all know what I mean. Like the stuff that wasn't necessarily like the paid salary, whatever. So it started out really when I was in high school, I was lucky and I got a chance to play around in HyperCard. So that got me excited about writing lines of code that let things beep and boop when you clicked on them. It was an addictive feeling to be like, I made a thing go boop when you click on it. But I really wanted to study art. And my family was like, how are you going to feed yourself studying art? And so a bunch of my teachers were like, you should really study engineering because you're good at math and there's not many women in engineering. And so because for some reason, I was felt this need to do things that are hard. I wound up going into engineering. I was like, fine, I'll study engineering, then I'll study art, and then I'll figure something out. So I studied computer science and electrical engineering, got a bachelor's and a master's, 
and the whole time I was designing, I wound up designing interfaces. I wound up designing t-shirts, flyers, whatever I could to continue designing stuff because I had realized that when I started designing stuff, time went by. I went into hyper-focus and I didn't notice time going by. And then after school, I took the only job that would let me do design and engineering. So most places wanted to hire me just as like a straight up here, we just need you to build stuff. And I really wanted to design stuff. So I, I took this job that was like, okay, fine, we'll let you do both, a bit of both. At that time that I graduated, most of my classmates were being siphoned off into this thing called management consulting that was like all the rage of a job back then. So I accepted, frankly, a lot less pay for this job than a lot of my classmates, but I really just wanted to get a chance to design. That was an agency. So I did work for stuff like AOL Time Warner, Universal Music Group. I got paid to make, I don't know if you remember, like Windows Media Player skins and stuff. Of course. Yes. Yeah. I got to like yeah. make those. Amazing. Actually, I made one for Afro Man. <laughs> oh. I don't know if you remember that track because I got high. And because you, like, I got high. Yes. Yeah. Like you clicked on the cannabis leaves and like the equalizer would fly out and stuff. Anyway. Wait, so wait, 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 like, wait. <laughs> who are the main consumers of this? <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking, like, if you click the play button, it'd be like, ooh. <laughs> this would be a really fun thing to just riff on, by the way. Oh, I mean, that was, yeah. <laughs> I really wish I still had it. I wish I could find more of the images. I think I, have, I do have a screen cap of it somewhere. And I just remember at the time being like, wow, I'm getting paid to do this. And I was like, I love this feeling. I love that feeling of like, wow, I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that kind of stuck with me. I also had to do some other things that were totally miserable. Like one time I had to design basically the internal catalog for people who work for the Department of Environmental Protection for New York City, which is essentially organizing sewer system manuals and making them look nice. And that was like one of my first client jobs in that agency, which like I really like admitting to because I think days a lot of the times, you know, when people graduate, they think they got to start like at the top. And I think it's great if you can start at the top. But, you know, if you don't, hey, I had to <laughs> make like literal shit look good. <laughs> Started from the bottom, literally. Yeah, literally. So that job was an agency. At that time, there was like an economic downturn. Everything crashed. They had to lay off a bunch of the staff. I wound up working for Leapfrog after that. That was where I, I contracted for them. I made interactive games for the Leapfrog. So that was my first foray into getting paid to make educational games. That was cool. And then I worked at Microsoft for some time on their Vista team, actually. <laughs> but I was working on MSN Entertainment and that was fun because it was music and radio related. MSN hat was like a big well, it was a, making a pretty big media play at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, like That's yeah, where, yeah. like, the cable network came from. Yeah, 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 that was happening. The cable network was happening. We had a music store, and it was, like, an iTunes competitor. And so I remember being in those offices, and every Tuesday morning, all the new music would show up, and everybody would have these little stacks of CDs that had come in from the labels that we were passing around. So, yeah, that was a whole era. And then I went from there to, you know, for personal reasons, need to move to the Bay. I didn't actually move to the Bay for the work. I moved to the Bay because of my partner who got a job at SS State University and then switched to Apple where I was working on the whole .Mac to MobileMe to iCloud thing, that whole thing. Worked on MobileMe Gallery, was there for the crash, was in the room when Steve Jobs yelled at us, all of that stuff. Oh man, I was over at my friend's place or my neighbor's place for dinner 
And we were just ragging on one of our friends for still having a dot me email address. <laughs> Amazing. Oh man. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. People just optimize your stuff. You don't have to get the perfect URL. So yeah. <laughs> so from there I, I switched to an R and D team. It was the human interface device prototyping team. So we were looking at new sensors and new ways that people poke at computers to make them do things and prototyping what those could look like in product at Apple. So I was there for a couple of years. Oh, I should have mentioned actually, when I started at Apple, I got a chance to work on the first web apps for the first iPhone, because back then that was the story of like, third parties want to build software for this new platform, build web apps. And so internally we were building web apps and that was me and two people like behind a bunch of locked doors doing that. So I got a chance to to be part of that, which was pretty historic. And yeah, that was cool. And then, yeah, working on new human input. So that was like force touch and taptic feedback and uh, face effects before those were everywhere, those types of things. And then I realized I kind of wanted to do more stuff that would help people in a more direct way. And I wanted to, frankly, have more of a hand in creating a culture at work that I would feel better in. So I switched to Khan Academy and I thought I was going to be doing R&D there, but they kept on asking for help with various things. And I wound up being the VP of design at Khan Academy and hiring a team, growing the team there. I love that team. They were fantastic. And then about almost two years ago, my partner got a sabbatical and was like, I'm going to travel the world. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> let me figure this out. So I quit my job and then we were traveling around and then the pandemic happened. Yeah, so that happened. And then along the way, I started two projects, Scribble Together, which is an interactive online whiteboard and MakeSpace, which is a whole new way of hanging out together. So those things happened. I guess taught a bunch of stuff. I started learning how to play the marimba. So now we have a band. Yeah, some stuff happened. Wow. Sorry, that was a really wow. long reply, but like, no. oh. It's all good. That was one fork of the reply. So like <laughs> the other half of the stuff is like, of course, I was dancing this whole time. And then 2008, we started this DJ coalition and we wound up being part of a lot of movement work, meaning like a lot of the times, you know, for example, people were coming in and doing fundraisers like we would DJ or like at the Oakland Museum we DJed. And also with like, we wound up DJing with a lot of bands from East LA. But yeah, like a lot of movement work related stuff, starting with friends in the East Bay around 2008. And so that's been a thing that's been ongoing, including like art projects, community art projects and things like that. So now that you've laid all that for me, I'm just going to throw all the questions that I had written out out the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, it, it's all good. It's all good. So how would you consider like your approach now? Like are the projects that you're working on now, do you consider those work? Do you see that as just sort of a continued development into ways where you know, you can connect or where people can connect better with people and collaborate? Like, how would you sort of frame that, for lack of a better term? I think I sort of have a tendency to gravitate towards things in an almost like a gut feel intuitive way. So my answer is digging into like, well, okay, what's inside that? Like, what's if I unpack that reasoning, what is it? And I think you're right in that, like the things that I take on or the things that I work on are things that are aligned with other aspects of stuff that I'm passionate on. One thing I didn't mention when you asked just now that I also did was, this is silly, I don't even remember stuff I did. But yeah, I also like, uh, there was just season one announced of the Playdate games for this new game platform called Playdate that Panic is making. I made a little game for that 
that has a bunch of animals. It's like a dance and music creation game. So when you look at that and you look at Make Space and you look at Scribble Together and you look at me teaching a class, most of the guest teaching that I've done in the last year has been at the Universidad de los Andes and it's been in Spanish and it's been in Colombia. It's just like, does it all align to changing the nature, the medium, the conversation, the story we're telling, the content we're putting in it in a way that brings me more comfort, joy, happiness, and people that I deeply care about more comfort, joy, happiness. It's the same thing with like any work around inclusion. Does this fit into the puzzle somehow? Like, is this part of that story? And that's the stuff I'll gravitate towards. Yeah. As far as, as project work. Yeah. Is there any sort of like process around that or is it more just an organic, we'll kind of see what comes out of it? I'm interested because you've got this engineering background. You've worked at these pretty large enterprises. How does that sort of work its way into your process? Or is that something that you've totally just tossed out of the window? <laughs> I think that stuff, yeah, I wouldn't say it's tossed out of the window. It's almost like it's it's almost like a thing to push against. It's like, I know this is there. I have it as a reference for contrast. I understand how things work. I mentor especially black and brown folk and especially women of color quietly in the background. And it helps me help other people navigate it as well. You know, so we sit down in a conversation and people are like, hey, I got this feedback from my boss. We're not just debugging like, okay, what's going on in that situation? I'm also looking at the entire organization, the way that works and the way that that works within the construct of capitalism. So it all fits in as far as like helping me understand the system that we're all trying to work in and survive in. And like, I'm really interested in, in making sure that people thrive and find their joy and all of that. So without understanding all of the inner workings of Big Corp, it's kind of hard to understand how the world works, frankly. And I feel like having been there and also having been in a position of leadership, I just feel like I understand a whole bunch of ways that shit works that I didn't understand until I had to be in it. I am an immigrant. So for a long time, I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily have the the luxury of the flexibility of doing whatever that didn't help me with that situation. That also affected my career a lot. I think that's something that people have a tendency to forget about is like, why is that person still with that company? And you're like, well, they could be waiting on a green card. You never know. So that's the whole thing. Yeah. This leads me to my next question. I think it's a, probably a fairly complex question, but it, it's more about your identity as a female designer and engineer. As you mentioned, you're an immigrant as well. How has that played a role in sort of your coming into being? Like, at what point did you have like this consciousness of saying, yo, this system's like super fucked up? <laughs> were you in a situation where potentially you're perpetuating it? Like, I know it's a tough question. But I think, I think for you, like you've been in the game for a while. I think we're all coming to this point of self-reflection and understanding. And I like that you call it the game. Yeah. I think that's healthy. Yeah. I mean, I know it's an expression, but I also think it's healthy. But yeah, yeah so you're saying. Yeah, no, it's all you. It's on you now. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I was like, I think I interrupted you. I'm sorry. The part of it, as far as like perpetuating aspects of the fucked upness, definitely. I think if anyone at my stage of career that's reached a level of success thinks that they have not perpetuated the bad stuff. I think they're fooling themselves. I think the honest answer is like, yeah, we must have. Because how otherwise, how would you have survived in that shit? You're playing some part. 
you're complicit in it in some way. All of us still are. We're all still here, you know, like even if you're putting a lot of energy into trying to take it, you can't do that by yourself. And there's times when you just have to survive something. So that's my like not good news answer on that stuff. But I think I've always had like, I think a strong sense of justice. When I was a little kid, I used to get annoyed because all of the kids' stories like always villainized the wolves. And I was watching nature programs on TV and I was like, there's an ecosystem and the wolf is part of the natural cycle. Why is there such a lack of nuance in these stories that constantly villainize like the same species? I was like, this, this is not right. I was like, this is, this is, sus- I already found that suspect and I was like tiny. So, <laughs> and you remember that, oh. like that's, that's what's fascinating about that. Yeah. That's a weird thing that I have is that like, I remember a lot of what it was like to have a perspective as me in a different moment. It's both a blessing and a curse. So like when me as a manager, me as a leader, I remember what it was like to be an IC. I remember what that looked like. And so I'm constantly like second guessing everything that I'm doing. Because I'm like, oh, is this going to come off like that thing? Oh, God. But yeah, I mean, it was as early as getting into engineering school. I mean, like, I remember at that point in time already, it was like, you know, unfortunately, I I think I was used to walking on eggshells. And so I didn't notice that I was continuing to walk on eggshells. Because as a 19-year-old young woman in a room with, like, oftentimes, like, 50, 60 guys in engineering school... When I enjoyed presenting as femme, you know, you've got, you've got your, you're, we're 19, right? So you've got all your newly fangled hormonal everything happening. And then just being the subject of so much unwanted attention, but also egos. It's like a room full of fragile egos and hormones. And that's the stuff people don't talk about with lack of representation when you're a 19 year old studying. Everybody's like, well, it's, it's, you know, just, I don't know. They name everything else. And I'm like, do you remember what it was like to be 19? And imagine what it was like when there was a huge group of people, a huge group of dudes at 19. And especially if they've been mostly locked in with computers for a long time and what that could have been like. So, I mean, I also had a great time. I like enjoyed studying. I love nerds and I love being dirty and all of that. But I think I was pretty aware back then. Also, a lot of the friends I made in college were from groups who are, you know, minorities or underrepresented in some way. A lot of my closest friends in college, like my closest study group when we were getting through engineering school, like we were a bunch of black and brown kids and we stuck together. I would not have gotten through school without that solidarity that that group of us had. We traded notes. We got through our problem sets together. I already had a good sense of that. And then it was shocking to go into the workforce. Right. The future of work is here at Automatic. The people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Join a team of diverse global perspectives. Create the work environment and schedule that empowers you to perform at your very best. At Automatic, what matters is the work you produce, not how many hours you put in. Work from anywhere you choose. There are automatications working right now in 79 countries around the globe. The intellectual and cultural diversity that results is critical to the company's success. Automatic believes in constant learning and offers mentorship and personal coaching to support your growth. As a small company with a huge footprint, Automatic offers you the chance to have an impact and make a difference. 
If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check the latest job listings. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. I think one thing that's interesting, just looking back on experiences like that, I know I mentioned sort of coming to consciousness, right? But you're already conscious of it. These are things that you inherently feel. I think it's harder because sometimes they're just not the community to communicate that with. And so a lot of the challenge is being able to vocalize what that feeling has been like to then identify where things need to happen. Especially back then. Yeah. And I think like, just reflecting, and I don't know if you've witnessed this now that you're starting to mentor younger BIPOC designers, but it's still a lot of the same. Totally. It's still a lot of the same thing. You're right. You're right. It's still a lot of the same thing. And back then, I think there was a lot less dialogue about it. I feel like now there's a lot more public conversation. Back then, it was like hush tones, close, and it, even just like flat out sexism, misogyny, that stuff, like even non-intersectional, even back then, that stuff was buried. It was behind closed doors only, or people thought it was only happening to them. And it's so funny because I look back now sometimes, like I was digging through old work photographs and I was like, it looks like that meme of like the white dudes at the stadium. Do you know what I mean? Where they're all like fanned out and they all look kind of the same. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I yeah. found, actually found a work photo of us, of us all at a table. And you know how people like do that same lean for the group photo? Everyone was white. And I was like, oh. And that, <laughs> that was like 2001 or 2002. And there was one other woman in this group of like 12 people, I was like, oh, I just couldn't have made it up. It was so dramatic. And yeah, it's still happening. But the conversation, I think people have an awareness that it should be better in a way that back then it was like, no, 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 you're supposed to just like put your head down and put up with shit. I also realized looking back on it, my first friend in corporate America was a Salvadorian lesbian. Yeah, she was fantastic. And I didn't realize at the time, we didn't have the vocabulary and the the discourse wasn't happening for me to understand the reason why I was more comfortable with Ligia than I was with everyone else that was on that office floor. I didn't know. I didn't have the words for that at the time. But now I look back and I'm like, well, of course. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you're in a world where there was more of a sense of, of that community, do you think the work that you would do or the the trajectory or the path that you take, do you think it would have changed? Would it have been different? What comes to mind with that? Because obviously there's a nice discussion around maybe if there was a revision, not revisionist history, but we could go back and change things. Would it change the course of where you're moving now? Yeah, it might. I wrestle with that question a lot. You know, you asked earlier whether or not, like I said, if all that experience in like big corp is what I'm doing with it. I, I, I do consult. So people do reach out to me to consult and mostly executive consulting at this point in time and because I do need to earn money. But I think that I wonder whether or not I would be more eager in some way to join back into organizations that are larger if they didn't look the way that they did or feel the way that they did status quo wise. Right now, when I look at them, a lot of the times it feels like asking myself to plunge back into an environment that I know is not going to feel great for a sustained amount of time. Like I need to create distance. It's fine. You know, it's like, oh, it's a job, but 
I don't know, man, like, you know, you also spend like 40 plus hours a week with people. And that's a lot of time to spend when like, those are people where at the end of the day, you're like, I would really rather go paint my cat anything, you know, <laughs> like I, I still remember that whole thing of like, oh, we really want to hire somebody we'd want to go get a beer with and me thinking, I want to go get a beer with exactly none of y'all. <laughs> You know, and just yeah, thinking that yeah. not being able to say yeah. that loud, be like, wow, you all really want to hire you someone you want to go get beer with. You're saying this out loud. And I'm the only person who looks like me in this room. And I would rather do anything besides get beer with you. <laughs> yeah, it, Reflecting on just the mid 2000s startup vibe of a lot of things being centered around that culture and just kind of looking back like, yeah, that's not a healthy and inclusive culture. Have you seen any examples of shifts in terms of how people are working? Is the fact that we're more remote, is that something that you see as a positive sort of leap forward in terms of at least having communities that aren't built on this central set of ideals that you need to conform to? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's great. I think the remote thing is great. I know there's a lot of companies that are just like, no, we're in person. And I do understand that in person is like, there are certain dynamics that you can create in person. But also a part of the reason for that is because frankly, like the technology that we're still using to connect is like a lot of it's not great. It's not designed with love. And it's great. I mean, like one of the stories that really stood out to me was people being able to negotiate the acquisition of a startup while pregnant. And nobody noticed it. I mean, there's like a lot of pregnancy related issues, not just from like a health standpoint of people having to pee every 20 minutes or whatever, and just the difficulty getting around, but also from, you know, discrimination and people wondering, oh, do I really want to acquire this company? Like they literally don't know this person is pregnant when they're like, you know, just multiple weeks. That's just like a really simple example. I feel like just about anybody could grow. But then also just like the gazillion like microaggressions crap that goes on in an office and people can just be like, nah. And I think people also have just like a little bit more distance from their jobs. And I, I just think that's healthy. I actually love the fact that the workforce, all kinds of workforces right now are just like, nah, like stuff needs to be better. And it really does. <laughs> I mean, apparently we have enough food to feed everybody in the world. Like what is all of this about? This is in technology alone, in tech companies alone, we have enough food to feed the entire world. Oh, that's I don't insane. know. insane. No, 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 uh, I don't. No, I don't mean. It's an expression. Oh, oh yeah, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, like as a from from a global standpoint, like as far as like food production, I think we're actually, you know, if we were just, I don't know if it's true or not, but but I, it seems like feasible that we're not like this. Feels like it should be a, a solvable and like a proximally solvable problem. And so, you know, when you really think about it, it's like, what are basic human needs for human thriving like i'm not gonna try and pretend utopia exists but like what's all of this other stuff about like what kind of world are we trying to create together you know and like having like gigantic companies be like no must be in person that require people to move to commute to be further from their families to like supposedly have social lives that are intertwined with oftentimes a demographic that they're like not interested in having a social life. You just like all with just so many things that I'm like, nah. And I just love, I'm really appreciating the pushback and especially from these younger generations that are coming in. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) 
What do you think? Yeah. Well, well, so, you know, we just have very timely conversations. I was just, I was just talking to a good friend about how a lot of the younger generations are starting to have more conversations around mental health and not necessarily being in the situation of what is the value that I bring to a company, but more or less, what is the value that that company can bring into my life, right? And I think it's a really important mind switch because to your point, it does put into the perspective you know, am I in an environment where I feel safe? Right? Am I in an environment where I can thrive? Am I in an environment that hopefully allows me to provide for myself, my friends, my family, and at least start to build more of a legacy in that regard? So I, I think that piece is super important. And yeah, I, I think all in all, that's the thought that comes up for me. I remember being in this like learning session around like authenticity. And it was interesting because the person teaching the course was like, you yourself cannot come to a situation as an authentic person. It's all about your environment. Authenticity is dependent on your environment. And so if you're not getting that in an office, then I think there is a lot of value in really kind of considering like if you are in an environment where you're at home and let's say maybe family is a, a bigger value to you to allow you to be in a better space, then then why not? Versus going into a place where you might have all these microaggressions, you might be getting gaslit. That's not a beneficial place to be. And if we were to really kind of think about the well-being of our employees and, and sustainability, we really do have to be talking about these types of things and making sure that employees are in the best situation that they can be to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I I get pulled in a lot these days, especially with for recruiting, people really want my help either finding stuff or finding somebody to put in to a position that they're looking to fill. And yeah, I was recently speaking to some people who were like, they're looking for a head of design, which by the way, when I left Khan Academy, I helped look for my backfill and I had a, I had a blast. It was great. I love talking to people who did this. Can you imagine like just your job becomes talking to people who do the same job that you did? and talking to them about their experiences. It's like, it's great. So they were saying, okay, well, you know, there are some gotchas to the job. And one of them is that it does have to be on site. And I was thinking, okay, so you're asking me to find a design leader, a seasoned design leader, who's going to have to come on site. And there also means, they didn't say whether or not this is true, but I imagine it also means that they expect a lot of the team to be on site. And I was like, oh man, that's like one of those middle management things where you might not agree with it and then you have to like perpetuate it. That That's one of the worst things about middle management. I mean, that could be an episode itself, to be honest. <laughs> middle management woes. <laughs> yeah, it could I mean, and probably be good because I think a lot of people who are ICs don't realize the pain of middle management and then people that are up at the top also forget. So what is something that you're excited about? moving forward with all these changes, with all of your involvement in kind of working on experiences that connect people, what sticks out for you? Man, honestly, it's getting back to my own creativity. I know it might sound odd, but I feel like I creation and expression just because, because I have a story to tell or I have something to say is something that I just have, I've never given myself the time or 
I don't know, frankly, the luxury to honestly, Harrison, I think that like somewhere deep down, I didn't believe I deserved it. I didn't believe that I deserved to express my own artistic and creative urges for their own sake, not in service of something. Is this like a vibe, like I want to work 60 years and then retire and then that means I own it type of thing? What do you mean in terms of not deserving it? I think that I felt like I had to do things sort of like in service of something else always. It's always been really easy for me to do something if it's immediately helpful to somebody else. But things like creative expression for the sake of I feel like this thing deserves to be put in the world as an artistic piece or as an experience or as a, those types of things have been just harder. And so now what I'm really excited about is finding that again and giving myself the time and the space for my own creative expression in a way that I've never done. I'm I'm very excited about that. And I'm very excited to write specifically. And by writing, I mean literary writing. And that's something that I'm digging into. And hopefully, you know, whoever's listening is, I hope that you you will consider checking it out when I start publishing stuff. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, it brings up so many interesting thoughts of just like you deserving it. I think it's so fascinating because if you feeling like you didn't deserve to have that space, is that something that has been created by the corporate world? even more locally design, (laughs) right? Because I think there's a lot of sort of service, almost over-servitude of just like making sure that you're always checking in with others and not prioritizing your own well-being. And perhaps maybe when you're bringing it back home, there's still like this element of critique and this pressure to really know and understand and be the expert within your process. You know, I love where this conversation is going, which is why I stayed away from those types of questions. I think there's a lot of really interesting thoughts that come out of that. So thank you so much for for sharing that. And I had a guest on the show during SF Design Week. They quit their jobs and they started this 30-day wellness listening festival. And it was interesting because I was like, hey, what's next for you all? And they were like, we don't really know. And that's fine. We're okay with that. Not everything necessarily has to ladder up to something that is going to be super huge and needs to scale and, you know, think about being the next unicorn company. Yes, yes, yes to that. Absolutely. I 10,000% agree with that. It's like you got to define it for yourself or not define it and let it find itself trust in that process and that journey, just like have a general idea of what that looks like, but not necessarily look at a prescription because we're, we're at the end of that. This is a different era. We're a different generation. We're not living this like same life. We're looking at a totally different, different way of being. We have different values to a large extent and expect different things from the world. We can't be laddering up to the same hero narratives that are thrust into our faces by usually big budgets, frankly, all of those narratives about like the hyperscale and the whatever, whatever, that stuff, there's a lot of money behind telling those stories. And as we talked about at the very beginning of this, well, what are the other stories? There's a lot of other stories. And, you know, what stories do we want to see that don't exist yet? 
I get asked a lot like, okay, well, what does the future look like for you? Because I'm looking around and I'm not seeing anybody that's doing anything that I want to do when I get to that age or that stage of my career. Actually, I hear that a lot. And I'm like, man, I feel that's, you know, I feel similarly. Like, who are the people that I really look up to that I'm like, okay, that person gives me creative envy or that person is like the kind of person who has this life that I'm like, what would it look like if my life was more like that? It's just hard to find that. I don't know. A lot of the times it's not in the regular narratives that you get in like Fast Company or whatever. I don't have any particular beef with Fast Company as a publication. I don't, I don't know much about them, but I just know that that's kind of like Fast Company business week, you know, that type of stuff. Well, well, Maylee, thank you so much. This is a great conversation. How might people connect with you? How can folks be on like your email list for when your book drops? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. So I'm on Twitter. It's just M-A-Y-L-I on Twitter, Maylee. So find me there. Right now I have a tiny letter, actually, which is also the same. It's just tinyletter.com slash Maylee. I haven't been very active on it for a while. I was publishing every month, but I'm going to boot it up and probably move to, I don't know, Button Down or Ghost or some other platform that requires an entire other discussion to figure out which one to use. (laughs) But yeah, so look out for that on Twitter. I'll link to it from there. And of course, like most likely I'll be publishing like little excerpts and things as I as I work on whatever it is that I'm writing. Because everything that we talked about has got like a gazillion stories behind it. So for sure. (laughs) This episode could have gone for like two hours. Just because I was like, hmm, do you have like a piece of wisdom that you would like to impart on the listeners before we log off? I think, yeah, I think it ties back to the thing we were just talking about, which is defining success for yourself. Figure out what it is for you and, you know, don't necessarily just accept whatever those pictures are that are handed to us because, yeah, screw that. I'm going to quote my beloved godmother who I lost this last year, but she used to always tell me, Maylee, it's your life. You have to decide for yourself. And I always really appreciated that. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) Thanks again. This has been great. 